Welcome listeners to episode 47 of the Run and Guide podcast, where our aim to provide informative content and interviews with elite athletes and health professionals around the world, like in today's episode, where I'm chatting to one of Australia's most successful distance runner, who has proudly worn the Aussie singlet five times in the marathon discipline with three consecutive Com Games and back-to-back Olympics, kicking off back in 2014 at the Glasgow, finishing 7th with a PB of 213.49. Then at the Olympics in Rio, finishing 31st in 216.12. 2018, up on the goalie, Com Games, finishing 5th with a 221.08. Last year over at Tokyo Olympics, 24th in a 215.51. And nine days ago in Birmingham and the 2022 Com Games, finishing 4th in 213. 23. Welcome back to the Running Guide podcast, Liam Adams. Thanks for having me. No, great to have you back, Liam. Look, I want to congratulate you. It was a courageous effort, mate, all the way to the finish line. I can see that you sort of had that the third guy up the road. You probably uh, had him in your eye for quite a while trying to grab that bronze. You and Jess certainly made watching a marathon live stream become a lot more doable again, mate. So, uh, yeah, fantastic, mate. It was, it was great to watch, great for the sport. Cheers, mate. Yeah, it would have been great to get that bronze medal. It was I was reeling it in, but just couldn't quite get there in the end. If I had another couple of hundred meters, uh, who knows? It could have been a great underdog story for me. Yeah, yeah. It was it was the old seven second thing. It reminded me. Didn't we go back to the Goldie and you missed out on two eleven thirty seven? Yeah, yeah. The old seven second thing. I thought there's that seven seconds again. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, mate. How long you been back? Uh, I got back yesterday, late yesterday, and the. The body's completely stuffed. I bet. I, um, yeah, just the sleeping pattern's been terrible. I didn't go to work today, thankfully. I, I did, got a few things done, but late in the afternoon, I got a message from you and uh, I replied to that. And then I was so tired that I had to have a nap and I set an alarm for this interview. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. and I, I woke up and I was absolutely dead. So, yeah, oh, I bet. Um, yeah, how many hours flying? <laughs> bit of a bit of a delay heading back. It was a little bit of a delay out of Heathrow. They've got a shortage of workers out of there, sure. and uh, yeah, a few things just got really delayed and took a while. Yeah, we'd just stop over Brunei. So that's the first time I've been to that airport. Okay, and, uh, who flies into Brunei? Royal Brunei. So right. that okay. was the first time I've ever ever used them as well. I don't even know where that is, mate. It's over near like, the, <laughs> the Emirates, Arab country. <laughs> Tell you the truth, that's probably where i was thinking as well and then uh it took me until i was on the plane and saw the direction that we we're heading and it's i think it's just a little bit above indonesia oh really wow okay yeah so it was a it was a really long flight there and then i think in the end after that flight it was maybe only about six or seven hours maybe to australia from there how long were you away out of australia yeah. i left australia just after gold coast ran the half marathon there had an absolute shocker was a bit sick in that committed to helping pace the the marathon the following day did that and then uh went home the the following day after doing the pacing duties at gold coast marathon and did a quick pack and got on a plane after that geez you must have been shagged when you got off the plane (laughs) Um, straight into prep for com games that's hardcore no well i was a bit surprised i when i got off the plane um after gold coast i thought maybe i might be a bit stuffed I had some really bad blisters in the actual half marathon. Tried a brand new pair of shoes because I'd done this really good one good session in them and just thought, yeah, let's try these for the half marathon. And I think the the fronts of the shoes were a little bit too big. So my feet were sliding around in them and I got some really bad blisters and then had to run a marathon following day. I think I, I ended up doing about 33K in total of pacing and my feet were 
in so much pain after yeah. that. Just some really bad blisters, some blisters in some awkward spots and some different spots I've never had. And the toenails were kind of in a spot where there's, oh, there's wow. a couple of toenails yeah. with fluid Mate, some, someone who's been around the block so many times, I thought you'd know all that. <laughs> Yeah, I know, yeah. That's obviously a golden rule. I, I was originally going in with the intention of going, I stick with the, the trustworthy shoes that I've been wearing yeah. that I know go well. And for some reason, I just veered from that, went yeah. the shoes that I thought, oh, yeah, we'll give these a try. I'll be wearing them for Commonwealth Games. And then I was originally going to be wearing the new shoes in the, the pacing duties and just for some reason reversed it and paid for it. And yeah. I okay. uh, got over to Switzerland and just really hit my straps. So I was doing some 40K days, straight into 40K days. And my second day at altitude was a session. I did like, it was a double quarters um, for those listeners who don't know what that. It's a bit of a staple session for distance runners. It's eight times 400 meters with 200 float. Generally, most distance runners will only do one of them. And I decided to do back to backs of them. So I did like... 16 400s with 200 float and it ends up being like 9.6k and i did that in a sub 30 straight at first session up at altitude which yeah i was a bit shocked at i didn't think i'd be doing that straight yeah. straight off a plane and at altitude and with some pretty bad blisters on the feet so yeah. no that's unreal that's confidence building for sure was that on a grass track yeah. or uh, no they had this lovely athletics track up in St. Moritz, okay. uh, the height of altitude up there. I think it's about 1,700, 1,800 metres. Yeah, the, the great thing was the athletics track was less than 100 metres away from my Airbnb that I hired nice. up there. So okay. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so there wasn't um, like accommodation organised for the Aussie guys over there preparing for Com Games? Some of those guys had their accommodation organised. I had to organise all my own stuff and... I was kind of told that I wasn't allowed to, well, if I wanted to do my preparation in, say, America at Flagstaff, which was the original plan, Commonwealth Games Association, uh, Athletics Australia told me Commonwealth Games Association wouldn't pay for any of my flights to Commonwealth Games. So I had to make sure it was into Europe for them to kind of pay for my flights. And then I was told that possibly my accommodation might be reimbursed to an agreed amount which i haven't heard a thing about it i was that was kind of like a selling point to get me there whilst their athletes were over there training look i haven't heard anything hopefully i get some sort of reimbursement for it and i'm not going to hold my breath <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's just well, the way it is so yeah, yeah. disappointing it'd be nice to know you guys know get looked guys. after yeah i know the other guys will be all sorted but i, I don't know we'll see what happens with me <laughs> Now you're um, yeah. a qualified Sparky. Can you sort of control, you know, you doing stupid hours in those years when you're getting, you know, doing your apprenticeship. You got sort of a little bit more control over that now to help you prepare for these major events? Well, um, yeah, I was doing some crazy hours during my apprenticeship and I think there was weeks where I was doing like 56 hours a week and doing the training on top of that. And it was just to a point where I was just like, I need a day off. I, I'm you have to go home today and I'll just go sleep. And um, I think recovery is more important than getting out there and doing a run. So it was real, it was affecting my training and that, but I've kind of moved from the company that I was working with from my apprenticeship and it was kind of COVID affected and that. So it was kind of this opportunity where that happened. And I, I found a new opportunity with another mob and uh, that was doing a bit of solar work and that was kind of commercial work in these big 
oh, it was like some big projects that we we're doing. So there's one project that we did last year, which probably the biggest rooftop install in the southern hemisphere. It's like yeah. oh, something ludicrous. It was like ten thousand panels, or there's thousands and thousands of panels on this roof, and this roof was twice the size of two athletics track. The, I moved into a more laboring job, I'd say, like with solar, not massively electrical, but it's quite physically demanding. Carrying these panels, which are 23 kilograms each, and it's just one man carries, and they're just awkward to carry. And if you've got a windy day, yeah. you're, you're in for a bit <laughs> of uh, hell there. The, these things can throw you around like a kite. Wow. So yeah. it was what I've been doing over the last few years is probably a bit more laboring on the body, but the hours are probably a bit better. The guys that I've been working with the last few years have just made work enjoyable and maybe recently it probably hasn't been as enjoyable and maybe I've probably been feeling that physically physical demand of the job a bit more. I've struggled a fair bit recently and it's like I think – the stress that's been going through work at the moment and like them trying to put more roles on my plate. Facts like I've been, once I finish work, I've always had this idea that once tools are down, my focus goes towards the running and that. And over the last few years, I've kind of found that it's kind of been a little bit the opposite. So there's been a bit of stress that you'd have to take home and you're thinking about work outside of working hours and yeah it's it's been tough these last couple of years as well so it was enjoyable and then i think once covid hit i think the the focus had to get back on work and working big hours because that um olympic prep that i did i think my savings account took about a $28,000 hit during that period so because i'm full-time casual i don't get annual leave or sick leaves or anything like that so uh, once I go do some altitude training and and that, so if I was to go to Falls Creek for me by myself, I'm I'm no longer in a, in a training squad. So whatever accommodation up there is pretty expensive. So if I'm doing it solo, I'm paying about five six grand to do altitude training and get a place by myself. So um, things like that. You, that all adds up. Flights, accommodation somewhere. If I have to travel overseas to race, it's all pretty expensive and when you accumulate those altitude stints and the preparations for marathons and you say for the olympics i think i had about eight weeks off too um same as commonwealth games i had about eight weeks off where i try and become a little bit more professional and train like a professional athlete so they take a hit during after olympics i started getting my bank balance back up saving 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 because i knew that next is commonwealth games and I wanted to make that team and uh, got kind of was making some progress with getting my bank balance back up to where it previously was, didn't quite reach it, and then it's gone all the way back down. So I think I'm about 30 grand down from where I was pre-COVID. So yeah, <laughs> now, okay. now at the moment, I've just got to try and get back to work, start saving up, start getting that preparation funds for my next marathon. So I definitely feel that Paris Olympics is on the cards and i know my best is yet to come so i gotta get my preparation funds back up and try and target that too and in that period of time i'll be trying to do qualifying races so those are all always expensive for me no it's unreal no thanks thanks for uh for letting us know about that we know it's clearly tough for uh for yourself and for others out there who are, who are trying to balance you know work and 
and training like a, a professional athlete. And the expectations are that you put on the Aussie singlet and you go over there and perform as a professional athlete yeah. against professional athletes. Yeah, to hear that is uh, put a bit more in our context. It's tough and it's, it's amazing you know, hearing all that and the financial drain and the cost and all the training you've got to do and deal with the stress of work that you still got the passion and the desire to even think of Paris. And that I think that's yeah. probably why you're still going and why you've got such long you know, jeopardy in the sport because you must just love it to have, deal with all that crap and put up with all the politics and bullshit that comes with it all. But yeah still yeah. still do what you do mate it's it's amazing and not many people could do that yeah definitely i it's a bit of a love hate relationship that i've got with athletics i uh, i do love that it's a pure sport but there's a lot of politics that goes with it so and i feel like i've always had the raw end of the deal i've i've made criterias for for nas funding or vis scholarships and that oh, for more than 10 years now and i've always been like the performance criteria i've ticked them and you go well according to performance criterias like um i should be getting some support then they're going no nah, it's discretionary so you think Too it's bad. more, more the, the shoulders you're rubbing against that's what it comes down to well pretty much because <laughs> 2012 i was making some performance criterias in the 10,000 meters and you you venture to five, six years later, guys which are linked to particular training squads, they're looked at, they run a similar time to what I did and they've been put onto these support systems and that and it's been happening non-stop and over the last couple of years, I, I've been put onto the Asada whereabouts stuff and when you hear these guys which are getting all this government and public funding and that, they're not required to tell Asada each day where you will guarantee where you're going to be. So say I've got to guarantee an hour that I'll, of the day where I'm going to be located, and then I've got to tell them where I'm working per day, which I don't find out until like four four o'clock the next day. So um, I got to do that, and then I got to tell them where I'm training, where I'm sleeping that night, and all that type of information. And these professional athletes don't have to do it, and you, I just find it strange that I'm the amateur and they're the ones getting funding. They're the professionals. And they're not required to do it, but I'm required to do it. And mm. it's just strange. The whole system, it's strange. And the fact that I've been like, like shafted with that stuff in the past, uh, ultimately I would have loved to have been a professional runner in that, dedicate everything to running but i never got that opportunity i was never given that opportunity yeah there's a lot of athletes given that opportunity and yeah unfortunately i'm not one of those guys and it's definitely a case of you know in the sport and just hoping that in the future criterias for teams aren't all discretionary because the people there's a bit of conflicts of interest in our sport and i know that my head's on the chopping board i know that athletics australia says that they don't think i'm going to be in the sport in two years time they're, they're looking towards other guys and looking towards supporting them and all those guys are linked to towards particular training squads and stuff so i know that i've got to always get out there and do my best at these events and I always will. I've got to try and make sure I'm a step ahead of everyone else. So there's a lot more pressure on me. And at the end of the day, if you're not getting the results and you're pumping all this money of your own money into the into a preparation, in, into a performance that are paying to get to a world majors race to try and race um, and try and qualify for 
an Olympics or a World Championships or Commonwealth Games, it's yeah, it's kind of stressful if you're not getting the results that you kind of want. Um, to try and qualify for these races, then oh, it, it definitely is stressful and tough. Going back to 2016, all that drama you had running around the world doing marathons, trying to get to Rio, and you know you had obviously you had the hemis letting go, but you pretty much had to run three marathons, you know, in close proximity of each other just to try to get there. But then you get there, and and you know you're the first Aussie home. You know, and then you go yeah. to Tokyo and you're the first Aussie home. You know, three common games. Yeah, Michael picked up gold at a couple. Yeah. You know, you've always been the second if, if when Michael won. And again, the first one home at Birmingham. So it's hard. I mean, obviously, you know what's going on behind the scenes more than me. But it's as hard for, for me and popular listeners to understand how this can actually happen. I mean, because you've proven once again, like I said in the opening, five consecutive you know, com games and Olympics put together. So you've been around forever performing at, at the highest level and yet all this going on. So it, it is very disappointing. I think it's uh, a little bit embarrassing, really, that this can happen. It's definitely got to me. Post-Olympics, I'd, well, going into the Olympics, I just never felt so. Like the preparation, I guess we were kind of, I was kind of um, forced to kind of leave work really early with the preparation for Tokyo Olympics because Victoria was getting shut down again. Queensland was deeming Victoria a red spot, so we had to flee because we were ultimately wanting to do Gold Coast Marathon in the preparation, or well, Gold Coast Half Marathon. So we had to flee victoria two weeks before that and that wasn't on my card so we went to canberra came up to canberra then there was a few covid cases in canberra so we had to flee that early and queensland had just said taken victoria off the hotspot so we were able to get into queensland early and then gold coast marathon got canned two or three days into it it got canned so <laughs> that race isn't done <laughs> just been a whirlwind but that whole period of time just felt so alone i know that all my fellow teammates were getting support just there at the olympics a couple of things happened to me at the olympics which really hurt i think there were some things which were done deliberately and post post olympics in hotel quarantine when you're nursing uh, an injury that you had in the leading to the olympics i had a bit of osteitis pubis and was just in terrible pain in hotel quarantine i think hotel quarantine aggravated it coming out of that getting back into work doing my back straight after that at work just because i was overcompensating because the osteitis pubis and I kind of slipped on a an icy roof. I kind of was trying to stabilize myself, slipped on an icy roof. And over this last half year, it's kind of caused havoc. I've just like through that period, I've just felt kind of just after Olympics, just just really disappointed with the sport. Um, just felt alone. I just kind of felt like I'm in this by myself and I just, yeah, I've been really disappointed. I kind of felt like it's been a period where I kind of thought I lost that passion for the sport and that drive for the sport. But thankfully, I kind of found it these last few months. I've been getting some form back. Um, I kind of got over a bit of um, glandular fever from the start of the year and a few other things that happened and started finding that passion for the sport again and that drive to try and get personal bests and try and do my best at these these big events like such such as Commonwealth Games or the Olympics. So I found that and they've always been my ultimate goals since being a kid was to represent Australia and do my best for the green and gold. So I found that passion again. Um, but 
there's a lot of things where I'm disappointed in the sport and, uh, yeah, it, it, it hurts and you just kind of sometimes feel that it could possibly prematurely stop me from reaching my potential um, in the future. And I know my best is ahead and I know that I should be able to make Paris Olympics and I should be running my personal bests well well into the next few years. So um, I'm just hoping that the, these things that happen that a lot of people don't know about in this sport, I'm just hoping that these things don't happen to me in the future. Because I know I've got my best ahead of me and if I can do it, then hopefully I can make Australia proud with better results at these events. Yeah, well, you certainly did that nine days ago, mate. But uh, what you've just been telling me then, is that sort of landing on, on someone's ears that can sort of do something with it? Like surely there's someone behind those doors rather than just the normal people that make these stupid decisions that can say, yeah, look, Liam, I'm hearing you. We've, we've got to sort this out, surely. What you did at that Games was just awesome, and Jess and all the Australian runners and, and everything. It was fantastic. But just just talk about you personally. You know, what you were doing in that race was just astounding to watch and was so exciting to watch. And I think you were just out there doing it, doing the best you possibly can, seeing what you could do on that day. And I'll get get into the race soon, but... You know, because yeah. I'm curious to ask some questions of what the hell you were thinking about numerous things because <laughs> it was just amazing. But it was great to watch. And to think you're out there running for Australia. Everyone's talking about it. Liam Adams was all over the press. It was just fantastic. And then you just hear that story that, that you just told us. So it's, it is disappointing for you, disappointing for us, disappointing for the sport. Now I hear commentators throwing out suggestions like, sponsor this guy. Someone's got to give this guy a sponsor. Someone's got to help this guy out. And I don't know why it's not happening. And uh, is it you know, like, do you need, I mean, would you be willing to, to get someone to help you on the, on the marketing side of things to sort of try to pick up a bit more financial support or is it no i just want to do it my way and just and just keep running hard and it's not as if you need to show them how well you can perform because you've done it year in year out for over a decade so it's not as if they're going to say we need to wait see what he can do on the big stage do you think there's anything that that will change or could change in the future or do you think or do you sort of thinking it's just going to be as it is and I'll just continue to keep finding that fire to perform better and, and run for Australia and if nothing more comes out of it, then I'm happy. There's a lot yeah, of questions so, in there too, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there's definitely. I, 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 I know that quite a few of them that you've asked. So yeah. uh, I'll start with since I was made, made, making criteria, say, since 2012, I kind of knew that support from VIS or Athletics Australia was just never going to happen for me. Um, I could go run these criterias and it was always going to be a case of discretion. So, look, oh, I've accepted that. I know what the cards that I'm up against and I know that I can do it without their support. And so be it. It, it might, may be unfair that they'll select other guys. That, say for um, Tokyo Olympic, I think I ran the, the fast time by an Australian since Lee Troop in, I don't know, it might have been 2004, 2008. So, a fair period of time and they decided to support my fellow teammates ahead of me and was given no no reasonable reason into why they decided to support them over me and i don't know so be it I, i'm not i don't care i'm glad that those guys got the support I, I know where i stand with athletics australia and i i don't really care anymore i would absolutely love to have some sponsorship and try and be able to get into a position where I can alleviate my work hours. So if I could reduce my work hours down from 40 hours a week to, say, half a week, that would be sensational. And I'd probably take on 
uh, a sponsorship if that if that was the case. But generally, I feel that the sponsorships that go, kind of get offered towards myself probably being just mainly product and stuff, which I've got a heap of products. Like I I, I used products from like five years ago. It's like yeah. singlets, shorts, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, like I tend to try and not throw out stuff. So I think you're a higher caliber athlete than just a product sponsored athlete. Yeah. So and and the thing is they're they're expecting me to like um, that type of sponsorship. They're expecting me to wear the exact same singlet as a guy who makes a salary and who's making a living and lives a professional life doing that as a career. And I'm I've got this backstory of I've still got to work 40 hours a week to to support my running. And it was made it may have been just before Commonwealth Games I decided to start wearing my uh, Chady singlet and as a bit of a sign to show that I'm different to the guys I race. I'm a full-time worker. They do that for a living. I do this outside of work. I do it as a hobby like everyone else in the world who does running. Your, your everyday weekend warrior, your, your tradie runners and stuff like that, I'm doing the exact same thing as them. I think once I um, won Melbourne Marathon in it, I had thousands of messages saying, oh, that was incredible what you did, racing professional athletes and being able to stick with them and and get the win was incredible and they were saying it was so inspirational and I was I've just ever since then I've found that there's been more value in wearing my tradie singlet and representing the everyday weekend warrior the people who struggle with the the nine to fives and trying to balance the the running in with their their work I've found that representing them has given me more value than what a sponsor which is just offering me a little bit of product or something like that um it'd be sensational to be able to get a contract where i could reduce my hours or become a professional athlete and then give my all to representing australia which i, I always do but obviously you'd love to get out there and do double runs and that but and i know that i can get my mileage up a lot higher than i do in a lot of these preps so it'd be great to be able to do that but Look, I've I've kind of accepted that. Yeah, that might not happen, so I don't really mind. I'll I'll continue to wear the Chady singlet. Continue to try and inspire the everyday runner. It's a fantastic story, mate, so far, and it's, it hasn't finished yet. Look, let's uh let's head back over to Birmingham, mate, and I know everyone's keen to to hear about uh, about that run that you did. It it started off as a jog, and I can see you sort of um you know running next to Andy there and having a bit of a chuckle. Going, what's going on here? Like uh, it's like a neutral zone in cycling. You know what I mean? You got to go slow before the the marshal gets out of the way, but um. <laughs> Yeah, about two minutes 40 in, you thought, nah, let's, let's get moving. And you started just run off the front. And just as that happened, Simbu, old Felix there, yeah. jumped out of the group and sort of went and you looked over your shoulder, you saw him coming. And then you guys sort of jumped down the road. You were happy to go on your own then before Felix joined you? The thing, yeah, I definitely was very happy to go on my own. And I feel that I'm probably a lot different to a lot of those guys. A lot of their races, they've been in packs and they've been paced the whole way. I've only had maybe two races that I've been able to race in a pack to uh, get dragged through. Um, so I haven't really had that opportunity. Most of my races have been just solo. I know that I could go solo and be able to run my own race and hold my own. And I th- so, so Simbu jumped on, he just jumped on his heels and you thought, you yeah. beauty? I think from what I can remember, I might have got a couple of metres and Simbu was running on the opposite side of the road. I've looked across at him and I'm like, okay, we're both kind of trying to get a little bit of a lead here and we're kind of 
I thought, oh, it'd be sensational just to jump on the back of him and get a little bit of a ride and uh, just sit in and relax. And about nine but, minutes, you, uh, yeah. you hit a drink station and Simbu grabbed the bottle and you didn't. You yeah. thought, oh, well, let's just keep it going. And that's when you sort of rolled off the front on your own. During that period beforehand, I was like, you beauty, I'll get a little bit of a tuck because there was a bit of wind out there at the time. And just tuck in, conserve a bit of energy, get dragged through a little bit, and hopefully he doesn't start doing surges because a lot of the african runners they like to do surges and you can get a bit of a huge lead but they'll deliberately if you're if you're seen as a mate big threat then they will drop the pace down again let the other pack catch us and then throw in another surge and they just kind of make it a bit of like a fartlek first year representing australia in commonwealth games in glasgow they did the exact same thing so there was some 250ks and then we were running 320ks and the pack which is just keeping a nice even consistent pace kept catching us and i thought um there's more efficient ways of running and i thought next time I noticed that Shelly wasn't getting involved with this. So they threw out some surges. Then I thought, all right, after a couple, maybe it was going to sting me a bit. Um, I thought, all right, from now on, I'll just start running a bit even and a bit like my own race. And I kind of ran a little bit with Shelly and ran it a bit smarter after that. So that was in the back of my head early on. And I knew that Simbu was slowing down and the pack was catching. And then they were, I think they were back on maybe before that drink stage. Yep. I thought Simbu and that were d- grabbing drinks and I'm looking over at the um, tables and I noticed that um, there was no drinks for us. And I'm like, they must be giving out drinks early they must think that this is a drink station this must be for the second lap so they started grabbing drinks and i thought i might use this as an opportunity to just pick up the pace get a little bit of a distance on the guys and i picked up the pace a little bit and i thought if they're gonna try and jump on the back of me here they're gonna have to throw in a bit of a a surge to try and get on and i was hoping that it'd probably be like a 250k or something like that for them to try and catch on the back and from then then on in i just started running my own race and my own pace and i felt really good and i was probably running a bit too quick for a course like that so a hilly course and i was still feeling good in that first lap over the hills and once i got to about halfway i was a bit shocked so um that first part of the race yeah i was just trying to stay relaxed run fast and and i didn't really know a great deal of what was was happening behind me but i was just hoping that i was kind of putting on distance which i think i haven't really watched the footage myself but i think that most of the time they kept me in arms reach simbu loved yeah. running in in second spot so yeah, okay. a- yeah out of that 3k drink station he came with you and he just again just sat probably just kept you you know three or four meters in front and he just left you sitting there and then there was at that stage your simbu and then five other east africans behind formed that little group yeah and then there is um the second chase group with andy in it they eventually 15k mark they were probably still about two minutes behind at that stage simbu was he left you sitting out in the front there to about the 5k mark and either the group pulled him back or i i assume that he just went back and sat with the group and then they were happy to leave you just sort of sitting out there and i guess they felt that you weren't going to be that much of a threat 205 206 marathon runners in there so they probably yeah, yeah, thought <laughs> we'll just leave liam sitting out there with this aussie cool. sitting out there knowing that he's not suddenly going to be able to accelerate more than what he already is and then just let the race attrition or whatever take part of it so at that stage yeah we lost nakoka labenya he was he was running in that group 7k he dropped back yeah 
he eventually yeah. um, faded pretty badly running a 232. Yeah. Yeah, so they were quite happy to leave you sitting there. I mean, the British commentator jumped on at that stage about 7K mark and was giving you credit for winning the Sydney Marathon a couple of times. He obviously got that mixed up with the half marathon, but he did give you Melbourne. Yeah, the half. <laughs> yeah, he gave you Melbourne. Yeah. Eh? So you were running yeah. like high 209 pace. So obviously, you know, your PB 210.48. So I guess the first question is, when you first started taking off, I, I could see you hitting your watch, so you probably knew what pace you were running. What was the plan at that stage? You're sitting out the front of these guys you would have known the, the quality of what they were you would have known the pace you were running so let's just say the 10k mark and you're out the front on your own with those guys hanging behind what were you thinking i'm just going to keep running my race my pace and just see what happens pretty much so obviously as you were saying simbu's an absolute class athlete he's fifth at rio olympics in the marathon he was fifth at under marathon and he's, he's ran eight of sub tens yeah and he, his pb is like 206, 206 yeah, so he's 20, absolute yeah, class yeah. well well above me yeah obviously <laughs> yeah yeah you're going to struggle to try and drop a bloke like that and he's obviously class he can kind of run it a little bit his own way um, so you, you were never thinking because i'm thinking okay liam obviously knows these guys are quality runners he's quite happy to be out there on his own everyone's different you obviously like to be out there on your own some runners may have thought look i'm just going to go back and join this group but you're probably thinking if i go back and join this group then i'm just i'm i'm playing their game at least if i'm out here i'm sort of making them think twice about what their original plan would have been. Exactly right. So they obviously wanted it slow to start with. They they were probably going to throw in surges and stuff like that. So I was kind of hoping that they were still going to play that type of game with each other. And maybe they all weren't probably looking to run a super fast time. They, they were just probably going for the win. So they might have wanted to run really slow and just do enough to get the win. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity that kind of attack them, kind of get them a little bit out of their comfort zone. And I think they they ended up quite a number of guys. These guys are 205 runners and a number of them were blowing up towards the finish line. So Kariri, who just finished behind me, he's a 204 bloke and he's been fourth at Berlin Marathon and has a tremendous record over the marathon. So to have that type of quality, blow up that type of quality athlete and then mix it with the guys in front and, and that it was incredible. Um, and I think maybe i put that down towards tactics that i used against him and yeah like i'm pretty happy with the result i got i think it definitely shows that i've got some big pbs to come in the future and and yeah the the guys i just thought that that was the right tactic to do to kind of run my own race i kind of know that i can do that i feel like i'm a strong runner that i can hold my own pace for a large period of time i don't really need pacemakers and i honestly don't know how it would have went with sitting in the pack and trying to kick down i'm not sure how it would have went maybe i could have gone better by doing that but nevertheless i went with the tactic that i thought was right at the end of the day that tactic helped make me mix it with the best in the world so <laughs> i think i think i did all right you went through half in 64.34, so 209 pace. How were you feeling at that yeah. time? Were you thinking, this is the fastest I've ran, but I'm, I'm good to go, like, this is what I can do today? Or were you starting to think, maybe I've gone out too quick? Was there any times, I mean, I'll talk further into the race when there's a couple of moves that, that actually happened that actually really broke up the race in a sec. But, you know, at the halfway mark, how were you feeling when you saw that split? Not that I saw when, you look I... down at your watch at the halfway. <laughs> I, I saw you look at the I, 20K, but I didn't see you look down at the halfway. <laughs> I, I did look at the half. Oh, there was a there was a clock oh, okay. at the halfway mark. I've looked at it, I think it was like 64. 
24.29. I think I okay. clipped through at that at that clock. That's probably the reason why I didn't. And I was keeping tabs on the splits I was doing throughout the course. Yep. And I remember there was some downhill sections where I was running about 250 or some flat sections where I'm running 250. I'm going, I know it's way too quick, but I feel really controlled and relaxed here. Um, and there was some so slow sections up the hill. And I was trying to be conservative up the hills, but I was still going along at a pretty quick click. And I thought with the first 3k that we did i think a couple of the k's are about 330 pace which i think that's probably around 230 pace maybe or something like that i don't don't know i think we were running around 230 pace for the first couple of k's and i thought any any chance of running a fast time probably went out the window and when i saw that i went through halfway in 64 29 i was a bit shocked that i'd gone out that hard and i kind of was feeling good at the time and it wasn't until probably we came out of that park and we hit that headwind again where I thought, oh, no, like maybe I've gone a little bit too quick. And then we hit a few of those hills in the second lap and I've gone, OK, uh, maybe because the pack had finally jumped on the back of me again at around the 25K marks. So I thought, OK, maybe I, I now tuck in and play their game and try and get a good ride here and uh, just try and fight for medals here. And uh, that's that's when my race tactics kind of changed from uh, trying to run away from them to playing their game. And uh, it was kind of struggle street after that, really. <laughs> yeah, that, those hills were just brutal, mate. They were just brutal. Especially as out of that second lap, that last 7K, it, it, it all just seemed uphill. It seems like we would turn a corner and then we were faced with an uphill and then you'd get to the top of that hill and then it would be like a sharp, left or a sharp right and you turn the corner and go surely it's going to be flat from here and you got another uphill and it just seemed like we kept climbing 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 and climbing and there was obviously a couple of little downhills in there um, as well in that section but it just seemed everything was all uphill and it really affected everyone that last 7k and the guys guys around me like that's where I probably started attacking uh, Kariri on a couple of those hills. I thought, all right, I can make a move here. Uh, he like just being, I tried to relax and stay behind him and he just looked incredibly smooth. I'm just like, when's this guy going to kick away from me? And I was just a bit surprised that he wasn't kicking towards the other guys trying to fight for the medal. He just looked so smooth and so relaxed. And I thought, I'm just like, Maybe that's just how he looks, even when he's super exhausted. So I just thought, I've just got to try and push here and try and reel in the third runner. And he, like I could see in the distance, he's looking around, looking around. He's super exhausted. And I just knew that I was catching him. It was, I think, I think I saw a split. Maybe I was 40 seconds behind him with 2K to go. And I just thought, just keep keep looking at him, keep attacking and keep Keep looking at that third spot and keep trying to get him. I knew that he was running scared towards the end. Just heading back, I was interested to see when it all sort of broke up, and it was 78 minutes in and uh, yeah. 25k and you guys had just come through a station and you had to go straight up that hill that um i think that was the second time because it was 18 18k loop yeah it was about that yeah 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 so so you would have been up that hill before so you knew it was it was coming up and uh yeah victor kiplagat he um from uganda he basically thought okay we're on here and he's moved to the front and taken control and he, he sat on the front for the rest of the race and ended up winning yeah so he went and obviously simbu i was calling simbu the sailor simbu the sailor jumped <laughs> on and again yeah. sat on second spot he was just covering anyone that was out the front and it's, it's funny enough he finished up second so he deserved to be yeah so he went and and that's for the first time that you know okay 
the pressure's on now because it really went into single file. That's when, yeah, you dropped back to fifth, had a good side-on view of you running up that hill, and we could see you were just working, you know what I mean? There was... You were just really having to work to to get up over that hill, but impressively, like at that time, I thought, okay, that's that's it, Liam's uh, Liam's in, in trouble now. It's going to cost him. But then you got over the top of that, and then you got to a downhill section, and you just went for it. And that was probably your two fifties you were talking about, because you um you didn't give up. You just attacked and went for it, and you eventually pulled the group back together again, which is. I reckon that was amazing effort to do that. Well, yeah, they they attacked on that hill, and there was a a point. I think it might have been around then, just before that hill, where I was just running along. So, uh, you know, that story that I told you about issues that I had with trying to qualify for Rio Olympics, where I had that neural hamstring yep. thing, just with that the back issue that I had from work end of last year, it kind of caused a few issues with my running gait where something would be sore say my calves would be sore one week my left calf was sore then it'd be my right hamstring my left quad and it was just going through my running gait and then there's i don't know i've been trying to get my back back into some health and it's it's been getting a lot better recently but i had that random hamstring pull somewhere around that mark and i thought oh i've got to be a little bit conservative through here and i think that hill i thought oh i won't attack this too hard and blow myself up here so i kind of just ran my own race up that hill and i thought at the top of that hill they decided to pull the pace like i think they reined the pace back in and they slowed down a bit and i thought all right this is an opportunity for me to try and get back yeah, back on there I think there's a drink station too. They might have slowed up a bit for a drink station when you're running down that hill to get back on. Yeah, I think so. And I thought, yeah, this could be a point where I can kind of just get back a little bit ahead, put some pressure on them, make them think twice about getting that drink and getting that down and kind of try and change their race tactics a little bit and get them second guessing and doubting themselves a little. So I thought, get there. And I think <laughs> it's kind of funny, like a like uh, you haven't seen it, that type of thing for I guess like obviously Shelley did it but like you haven't seen that done by an Australian for a while where they're kind of putting the pressure on these quality Africans which are 205 blokes 204 blokes yeah. 206 guys and um I thought but I just put the pressure on them and just, yeah, get them second guessing again. <laughs> you're, like, you're like that mosquito at night when you're laying in bed and it's dark and you're just trying to swipe it yeah. and you can't get it in your yeah. ear. <laughs> When's this yeah. little Aussie well, going to go away? Yeah. Well, it's funny, like after the race, I think I think what I did caught them off guard a heap because they were like, I think they, they had a fair bit of respect for me after the race and they came up and shook my hands. Even the following days after, like, oh, <laughs> you made it a brutal race out there like one of the guys said in the village the following day and i gave him a bit of a handshake and had a bit of a laugh with him so yeah like i thought i was a crazy mazungo so yeah yeah the, the british commentator that i was watching um i'm not too sure what the seven stream was but yeah he was he was a british commenter anyway and uh yeah he, he was actually mentioning about um all the uh the twitter's messages coming through from people who yeah. are um yeah just you know really giving you a huge kudos and some of them were some of the east african uh countries who were you know rep- you know their runners were out there but they still were saying you know it's just it's unreal to see someone being so bold and courageous and just you know putting it on out there i actually did i've i had a number of messages from kenyans and ugandans and stuff like that so guys which weren't there racing they were saying congratulations 
Nations, great run. And I even had one guy saying, I want to come to Australia and run run with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, which is strange. Usually it's the Australians which are looking to go over there or yeah. Americans or, or British runners which are trying to do training over there and learn learn from the Africans. So, you should have said, uh, yeah, it's a bit funny. How do you go carrying a 23 kilo solar panel? And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, you've got to do your apprenticeship first, mate. But uh, it, it was great, wasn't it? When you're actually running, and I don't know if you even think of that when you're out there, but you would have known who you're surrounded by, you know, what company you were keeping. At this stage, were you thinking, I can win this? And the, the I, second question is, which of these Africans do you think was going to get up or, you, or it didn't matter? They were all just as good as each other as far as you're concerned. Look, I, I knew they were all quality. I, I, I knew that a number of them had like 204, 205, 206 PB. So yeah. I tried to, like, early on, I was like, I'm going going well for some reason no one's on the back i'm feeling pretty good doing this and i was getting a fair bit of confidence through doing that racing that way and once i joined them in the pack they didn't go flying past me or anything so i stuck with that pack for a bit and i thought maybe they're pretty exhausted not every day that you do a hilly course a hilly marathon like this maybe they they really don't like to do this type of marathon a hilly marathon and it might take a bit out of them. i knew at the olympics that i had beaten some 204 guys as well i had a bit of a sprint finish to the line at the olympics with a 204 guy i think he ended up getting done for doping that that race too so i knew i could mix it with that type of guy, those type of guys in like brutal and hard conditions or, or yeah. hard courses so yeah. Yeah. so you were sort I of always, thinking like i'm feeling good yeah i know i'm running quick but who's to say that i can't pull this off i mean like you say that they it might be sticking their legs a little bit i mean i'm not going to assume that eventually they're going to come past me and i'm going to finish whatever you were still confident hopeful yeah. hey you never know miracles happen exactly yeah. yeah exactly and they they hadn't put the the foot down or anything like that so i knew that a lot of them were hurting uh so i was just tried to stay focused stay confident and try and give it my all and try and go for the uh win but I, obviously i always knew that these guys were a class above um but i was just going to give it a crack and see if i could match it with them can you remember a certain time in the race? Probably was when Victor took control and and started running away with Simbu. But it's not as if, like I said, they were putting a lot of time into you. I mean, Victor ended up beating Simbu by a couple of minutes. That was uh, in the closing case. Is there a certain time yeah. that you can remember looking down the road, you thought, okay, I ain't winning today? Well, once Simbu and Victor made that move and got a bit of a distance on the guys, I yeah. kind of thought, okay, that's... That's them going for home, but you, you never know. Those type of moves can blow you up. I remember at Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, I went with um, the surge just just after halfway. I knew the pace was pretty hot, and after about a K or two, I've gone. I've just made a really bad choice here, and I knew I was going backwards after that. So I was kind of thinking that that could be a possibility that that could happen to those guys but those ultimately those guys are 205 204 guys so um i kind of knew that that was probably the the move that they were going for gold and then there was there was a number of 204 205 guys which were stuck around me and i'm sure if they were feeling good they were probably going with that move so um it kind of worked out that those two guys were they're chasing the golds and silver 
and hopefully at the end of the race we can maybe see them and try and hunt them down but the pack around near me we're all trying to fight for that bronze medal so that's kind of where focus went to was that kind of bronze medal from then on in it certainly happened on on that hill and Kiplegat just sort of thought okay it's time for me to take control and it looked like he just a quick surge like you mentioned that they do dropped it to 250 pace he was so smooth and so comfortable looking and I just thought okay he's the man to beat he just you know he's like okay it's time for me to take control and, and he went off and, and Sumbi was just hanging on but just wanting you know if he decided to try because it did break up on that climb I know you're saying you felt that neural sort of hammy so you sort of thought I'd better play it safe here but it did string it out really really quickly and I'm just wondering if those guys who were 204 runners you were running with they really should have responded there but maybe those hills was just getting to them and that was before the, the brutal final 6-7Ks of, of climbing. Yeah, I thought if they were relaxed and the first half was easy for them, then they were probably going with that move. So, yeah, yeah. And they didn't. And they were still around near me. Being that caliper athlete, they, they're around me and hurting and not really getting too far away from me, I thought, gettable here. It was 28.5K, I remember, because just before they hit the 29K marker, so... Yeah, they still had 14k to go. If, like yeah. I said, if they're feeling good, they should have been able to go with it. Yeah. And Andy, 215.40 in seventh spot, not too bad in his second marathon. Yeah, it was great by Andy. Uh, he, I guess he's kind of followed a similar pathway to me. So his first marathon that he did, he qualified for Commonwealth Games, and his second marathon, he... He finishes seventh, which I did at Glasgow Marathon. 2.12 in his debut. That's not a bad one. Yeah, which is a pretty good debut. So I think he's just at the start of his marathon running career. And I think, yeah, he's got a good, bright future. Yeah, I think he's really excited to what lies ahead for him. And uh, hopefully we're all challenging each other to try and improve Australian marathon running and bring it back to where it used to be. And hopefully we can create this environment or culture which challenges each other to get better and improve and mix it with these uh, world-class athletes. The future's definitely looking exciting. There's no doubt about that. And uh, yeah, Andy's just one of uh, eight or ten guys at the moment who I reckon the next couple of years are going to be running really, really quickly. So it is it, it is exciting. It's going to be harder and harder to get a singlet. Like you said, it's just going to push the competition and everyone's just going to be better at it and run quicker. Yeah, so d- definitely, like, they, these guys are all quick runners and they're, they're all stepping up. The way that you approach other races, you're generally keeping super fit throughout the year. It kind of feels like marathons, you're putting these stints of about 10, 12 weeks. Sometimes you might even only get five weeks of prep, like I did for qualifying for Tokyo Olympics. But you're dedicating that period, you're you're giving your all and at the end of it yeah you can't go out and run another marathon two days later three days later so it's a huge dedication and i think a lot of those guys will probably end up respecting the distance pretty quickly and yeah look it's it's great marathon running and that's probably why it's so good it's so challenging yeah i think it's definitely the challenge i mean they got that distance right didn't they if it had been 38k it would be a different race wouldn't it it's just just, exactly they just nailed that distance then, then again they they did yeah but then again, you might go, oh, it's only 38K, so I'll run at this quicker, pace. You so. probably choose a little bit of a quicker pace. So yep. therefore, that section where you bonk at 
say 30 or 35k now becomes half marathon to 25k is where you're probably going to start feeling it and getting and just battling towards the line yeah it's a it's a brutal race it is. and yeah. was birmingham the hardest marathon course you've done yes yeah 100 percent. i don't think i've done a course which is harder i don't think it like it exists so yeah <laughs> if you <laughs> i don't think there's like any marathons around the world which has that that many hills in it um i think i heard sinead after the race say that that course was like far more hillier than uh, than say new york marathon so yeah of course um, yeah and you got a good measure of steepness of hills like a six percent eight percent ten percent climb does that mean anything to you so if i said to you were were some of those climbs like ten percent steepness i don't think i've run too many races or anything like that where you you get uh, something which tells you the gradient. Yeah, I think it's just a cyclist thing that we learn. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think it, it's definitely a cyclist thing. Okay, because um, they look like but, they're some of them look like they're yeah they're around the eight ten percent. They they weren't little rises. They were actual proper hills, especially like you said yeah. that those final hills, closing caves where you said you turn and you go up, turn and you go up. They look solid climbs. What about Heartbreak Hill? We all know City to Surf, which is coming up this Sunday. How's it compare? I reckon the the some of the sections the the hills were a little bit steeper but the gradients are pretty similar yes i'd agree that's probably one where runners could compare would be to that Yep. And I'd also say some of the hills in in the the Hobart 10k okay. run the bridge 10k. So right. okay. you some are going over that bridge or or the hill just before that. I think a few of those hills were roughly that type of gradient yeah. in some sections. So yeah, it did take a sting out of the legs definitely. Oh mate, it's just brutal. Whoever came up with that course, honestly, just put him out the pasture. That's just not fair. <laughs> well, I kind of met the guy who helped uh, do the course afterwards. Really? And uh, was he a <laughs> no, he does really? a few other courses. Was there, like, was there a reason that they had to put that hilly part into it? Like, you don't just do it for fun, surely. They wanted it to be challenging. Yeah. But then when they went, like he said, when he went back, I saw him the following day as well, and he said he went back and watched the race and didn't realise how brutal the hills were. So <laughs> he apologised. He said, sorry, yeah, we probably made it a bit too hard. So, yeah, okay. yeah it's funny. And we should mention Jess. Oh, incredible, know, what, what the, incredible what all the mums are doing, marathon running. It's just great to see what they're doing. I was stuck in doping control after the race. I wasn't allowed to leave doping control to see Jess finish. So oh. I was absolutely shattered. I was just incredible incredible to see it was such yes. an emotional moment mate it was very oh, very yeah. emotional I, I found it emotional and even when like i finally got out of doping control after i think it was like four bottles of water three bottles of coke um finally got out of there and then i got to see her medal presentation okay. and I'll, I'll admit i had a few tears in the eye yeah, so it was yeah. great to see it was. See Jess up there and get such an incredible win. She was just so strong over those final climbs. I, you should compare splits, mate. She might have got you in those final Ks. Uh, oh, she probably did, I reckon, yeah. <laughs> she just looked someone so said, strong in control. Like, she never looked like she was just going to fade. It was just unreal to watch. Someone said she negative splitted, so I'm just like, how's that possible? Over With, with that last 7K in there, how's that possible? Look, she was super strong, super gut. Yep. To do what she did was yep. incredible. Yep. Uh, that's great.
No, Great worries. for the sport. Do you want to have a punt over your last okay. 12 marathons? <laughs> what your average time is? Uh, are you counting my seven runs that I've done as just kind of tempos or like thresholds? Or no, no, no. Okay, that, that's good because that, that brings my average down a fair bit. I've done a couple of sneaky marathons on the side. Oh, you mean like one over and I think you did one in China? and Yeah, I d- did a couple of them. That was just to kind of the, the race director in Taipei kind of said. Because, yeah, basically the what what happens is quite a few of the labelled athletes go to these events and they just go to win the the prize money. And if they're not in there to... If they're not in with a chance on the day to win the prize money, they they DNF and then they look for the next marathon. Yeah. And I think even in that race, there was a couple of Kenyans which got done doping. So okay, I, I heard there was you know rumours that a couple of Kenyans who weren't there in the male and the female. So obviously that's still yeah. going on, isn't it? Well, yeah, there was one guy which was supposed to be there. He in the Kenyan team, he got done just recently. So that's the, re- the I think I believe that's the reason why they only had three runners and then in the females the the rumor is that two of them got done and i think it's probably in the process at the moment of the convictions being rendered so they they're they're probably appealing it so i Mm. think they're trying to stop that from coming out in the media and they won't they won't announce that that's happened or or maybe they're kind of going into damage control right now because I believe a guy at the world champ was right up there at the Olympics as well. He he got done as well. So, yeah, there's there's quite a few getting stung and I think a 1500 runner got done at Commonwealth Games as well. Maybe there's just a list of them. And I've been in many races recently. I think my last six races, there's been someone get done. So yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, and it's it's, it's more than the East Africans. Like I don't want to, I don't want to like, sort of label it, but it, generally all the publicity gets pushed towards them. I, I think it, it happens throughout the world, but I think it's very rampant in the East African countries. There's not much testing that gets done over there. Um, it's funny because it ruins that, a reputation because the they're always considered just elite athletes anyway, just from their lifestyle and their environment. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing, though. It's so competitive over there that... It's the two 12 runners the wanting to become 206 runners. Yeah, and then the yeah. 206 runners wanting to become a 203 or a 202 runner <laughs> just because it's so competitive yeah. over there. Yeah. It's so cutthroat. And I think there, there's still guys who, were super fast which have never done a doping control test i think it's only now that they're starting to implement a system where if you were to represent kenya there's a new rule because it's kenya is considered a high-risk country so it, they've now made a rule where if kenya was to have an athlete represent them they've got to do three doping control tests within i think it's like maybe a year, a year and a half. So I think now we're actually seeing athletes get done. And the yeah. fact that now that these doping controls are now not staged. So you heard the, the story of Kip Rock and him making up an excuse, something along the lines of doping control tells him two weeks before that they, they come and test him. And and then they didn't give him that, that notice of two weeks early. And then he tried to say that the system was corrupt and that they did something to his sample and whatever else. So I think they're now cleaning the sport up a bit more. It's always disappointing to see that there's so many athletes doing it, but the positive is there's a lot of positive tests coming out and they're getting done, so therefore it should be cleaning up the sport. I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that these guys are getting done because <laughs> in my prep, I think I've had about three or four doping control tests in the last two months, so... 
I'm just a sparky. So yeah. <laughs> these guys are professional athletes and that's a profession. That's how they, they make a living. That's how they support their family, support their tribe and support, support their communities. So there's lots of pressure on them to run, run sure. big rates. You know, I hear stories about the agents that are making money out of these out of these kids, you know, getting them to run quick and getting them to run these big majors and making a cut out of them. So they don't really care if they get pinned because um, they're making a commission off these runners and these runners are agreeing to it because it's either farming or a chance to um, to bring some money home. I mean, these these guys come and go, as you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, you could have a 205 guy next year and then two years later you think, where the hell did that guy go? But And that happens a lot, high turnover, because, yeah. you know, they go, they get their money, they bring it back and they're done. They don't want anything to do and with then, it. Yeah, they're, they're, ha- they're possibly, yeah, they're happy that they've got yeah. enough to support their family. Exactly. Like some of those... Some of those races that, that, that some of these guys win, Chicago's, your your Londons, and whatever else, that's that's a three hundred thousand dollar payday for these guys. These two hundred four, two hundred five guys, that's a lot of money for them, and that's a lot of money for 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 a Westerner or, or for a Sparky. That yeah. that would make the world a difference. Uh, if I was to win a race like that, I'd go completely professional and <laughs> yep. dedicate more and more time to it. Yeah, I think agents agents are getting their cut. But I think there's a number of athletes which are taking it on their own. But the the issue is there's a lot of agents doing dodgy things, a lot of agents that know how to beat the system, and they're testing their athletes to make sure that they're not going to test positive. Um, it's There's still a number of athletes doing some really dodgy things, which is frustrating that they'll probably never get caught. I guess the, the, um, the managers and athletes that are a bit more negligent and probably don't know what they're doing or as well as they're doing or they're they're a bit unlucky that whatever they've done is a day before getting drug tested um i think the fact that a number of them are now getting pinged is just great i, I just think the biggest shame is there's a number of managers out there i won't i won't name but that you see on a yearly basis you go oh that's three athletes or four athletes per year that are getting done for doping and you're going, what is the sport doing about that? They're doing nothing. They're absolutely doing nothing. There's it kind of feels like they're kind of protected species, some mm. of these managers. So that's another disappointing thing about the sport and that, that does get to me. But end of the day, I guess it's irrelevant. I'm just trying to run personal best, yeah. be the best I can possibly be and obviously try and run the best I possibly can for Australia. So just got to try and ignore it as much as you can, even though it's hard to ignore at least i know i'm doing it clean (laughs) yeah well that's right and you know hopefully when you turn up to run the sydney half to grab a bit of pocket money that you're not getting beaten by someone there you know generally it's not happening so hopefully it stays that way yeah it happens it possibly nearly cost me an olympic spot um with that gold coast marathon race because i kind of snagged an auto quiet qualifying position well i'd finished just out of that auto qualifying spots and the guy in front of me got done for a couple of testosterone boosters or synthetic testosterones in his system it nearly cost me there get the qualifying standard out then i didn't go to the olympics so um and it took at least six or seven months for that doping conviction to be confirmed 
okay. and for me to be elevated into that auto qualifying spot. Yeah, it, it, it does get to me, 100% it does. But but that, that runner was an overseas runner, wasn't it? It was another Kenyan. Yeah. So oh, okay. well, I could clarify that. So the policy for Tokyo Olympics was if you finish in a, a gold label race, which Gold Coast Marathon is, if you finish top five, then it's a automatic qualifying standard regardless of if it was quicker than the qualifying standard for the time if you ran slower and you finished in top five then it was regarded as an automatic qualifying standard based on your position in a gold label event so they've got a bit of a system where they try and encourage races to get a label status they say these labeled status races pay all this money to world athletics to to be regarded as a labeled race to encourage these athletes to race so that's the that's how that was going to be an auto qualifying position you heard sydney may pick up the abbott major spot i heard that rumor at gold coast marathon so that's that's really exciting so yeah i think um, i heard they were going to add three and sydney's put their hand up to try to get one of them yeah yeah i think there might be i'm not quite sure but it read to me, it read like we're applying for a world majors, one of those positions. So I don't know if it's three races competing for it or if all three races get it. I'm not quite sure. Okay. I, I haven't read yeah. the details into it. But that's exciting to see because when you think of Berlin, London, New York, all the other ones, Tokyo, you're going, you're listing through all these cities which are iconic. They're tourism you go there, you go, all right, you'd love to go to these cities for the tourism, but you also look at it as a runner and go, I want to do these races because they're world majors and they're iconic as well. So it's just incredible that Sydney's now now put its name on there. So, yeah, like <laughs> I've kind of thought since London Marathon kind of, I got blocked from doing London Marathon to try and qualify for Tokyo Olympics. I thought, well, I don't think I'm ever going to do that. I kind of want to do all the other world majors and that was on my list but i don't think i want to do that anymore maybe i can substitute that for sydney marathon yeah at some stage <laughs> yeah no definitely yeah I, I love i love sydney marathon and sure wayne Laden will do a good job making that happen for sure look just getting back about your average over the last 12 marathons um, yeah so, we so there were melbourne glasgow chicago <laughs> warsaw rio berlin japan com games on the goalie then the gold coast japan tokyo and birmingham so that's the 12 i got mate all right i'm gonna go for something around oh geez i'm gonna have to say 214 just because of a few of those ones were a little bit slower Maybe it could be a bit slower than that. It could be 2.15. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Right, yeah. I'll, I'll go with 2.14.05. I'll go that. Oh, geez. wasn't too bad, mate. 2.14.42. 42, okay, yeah. There you go. I think, yeah, some of those hot races probably got the average down a bit. And I guess, yeah, with Chicago Marathon twinging the hammy and yeah. having to to limp to the line from about 22K. Oh, Com Games on the goalie 20K. during that heat, you know, the 2.21. That was brutal. Yeah, that, that got yeah. the average down a bit. Definitely. And then, thank God you didn't count the uh, M7 marathons because yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just going there for the thresholds and a bit of a long run and a, a little bit of a, a paycheck. So yeah, <laughs> just yeah. to kind of help help boost the bank balance up and yeah. pay for my next little training stint or something like that. So, yeah. But what, 214 is not a bad average over 12 major marathons. Not too bad. You're pretty consistent there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not too bad. And hopefully I can chip away and keep getting that average a little bit lower. Yep. And, uh, I know I haven't reached my best yet. My my current personal best is off a, a five-week prep 
preparation, yeah. which was hindered by had fires, those those massive fires which shut down, which made it impossible to train in Sydney, made it impossible to train in Melbourne, and Falls Creek was like uh, kind of closed, so yeah. couldn't get up there, and only got to do like four or five weeks stint preparation so that's where my pb is to 210 like b were on a, a windy and cold day on a poncho day poncho day and doing that all solo i, I know my best is yet to come yeah. I, I definitely feel a sub 210s on the card and hopefully i can put a, a minute or two into that and see see where i can end up and to have to require me to sacrifice a bit of my my wages and and that and be a bit more strict on how much I can spend and just sacrifice a yeah. bit of my salary per year. Oh, to we just need Qantas and Woolworths and Harvey Norman <laughs> all jump yeah. on, mate. I mean, there's <laughs> something there to market, mate. I, I don't know why they're not doing it. You know, that's what yeah. I said. Have you, have you thought about getting someone to help you out? Like, seriously, there's a product there. I can see it. <laughs> Cadbury, Coca-Cola or Powerade. No, nah, keep you away from the sugar, mate. It's <laughs> no good for yeah. you. I've seen the oh, inside mo- of your car, mo- mate. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Moner's, uh, he did all right with his Mars bar ad, so <laughs> if they can jump on board, that'd oh, be great. Mon- yeah. Moner's a bit the uh, man look- to help you out, mate. He knows <laughs> how to turn silver into gold, that bloke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he sure does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, anything, if there, there was anything out there, I'm not going to hold my breath. I'll, I'll just keep doing what I do, and I think that I can still still run massive personal bests off what I'm doing. But on, on a serious I, I note, on a serious note, mate, have you thought of getting someone to help market you to try and pick up something to help you out? Uh, phew, I don't know. Like, you gotta, for me... You've got to back yourself, mate. Like, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard for you looking looking at yourself in the mirror, but from, from our side, there, there's a product there, and I just... If you don't ask, you don't get, yeah? Yeah, I, I guess that's completely true, and I think there's a probably a little bit of my downfall is I kind of... I get a little bit afraid or... I'm one who doesn't really ask for too much help. Yeah, I, I think that's a downfall for me. And mm. maybe I could could probably do something like that and see if someone can help me out with that. You can't expect that they're going to come knocking on the door. you sort of got to start being a bit more proactive about it. And, you know, I know you're busy, but surely yeah. someone yeah. and yourself can sort of look into it. I wouldn't I, – I hate publicising myself. Oh, yeah, I, I understand do, that. I do my best to <laughs> – I know that, but I I, we all want to see that 208, to... mate. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. So definitely, I probably need someone else to do it. But uh, yeah. yeah, look, be sensational. It'd be great. Maybe, maybe it's not possible in an Australian market. But I know that there's my, some of my other fellow marathoners are they're they're on some pretty good deals with sponsors, and they're also getting a little, little bit of their flights accommodation and stuff like that paid by, by Athletics Australia or VIS or whatever it is the the systems that are in place. So yeah. if I can somehow bridge the gap between that what those guys get that type of support, then yeah, it would probably go a long way in improving myself as a runner and a marathon runner it definitely would mate and be i know you'd be curious to actually see what your potential is you know when you can do it because there have been times when you've done some big blocks you know 240k weeks where you just focus just on running such as an example up in forest creek and you just couldn't believe how well you're absorbing the training and clearly the results come so yeah so you know exactly. that you, you know you and can absorb the training. You know you're a high responder to that sort of volume. So me personally, I'd want to be giving myself every possible shot to make that happen. Yeah, and I know that a number of guys, like a number of the Australian guys, if 
I don't think they'd even dare say they're doing a 240k week. <laughs> but I guess for me, when I come off your 40-hour week and then go out and try and run 30k a night after work, find being able to be in that situation where if I can do a double and live like a professional athlete, I find that it's super easy to get out a 240k week and actually feel better than if I was at home doing a 40-hour week, doing 180k weeks after work. Yeah. That's still super exhausting, of course. more exhausting than, yeah. than a 240k week as a professional athlete. you got that quality when you train and you've got that time to recover in between. And as you know, it's all about the recovery. Yeah, it makes a world of difference to me. Yeah. Let's... Uh... Work on it, mate, please. <laughs> See what you can do about uh, lining something up, mate. I'm looking forward to reading that press release. <laughs> yeah. What's next on the calendar? I can't imagine going to see you in Sydney on Sunday for the run to Bondi. Uh, well, you you just might, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought, Liam, uh, you were crazy enough to turn up. Surely the pens are gone, mate. You must be falling uh, asleep right now talking to me. Come on. I, I was falling asleep just before, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a bit more awake now. I just hope I can get to sleep after this. The legs pulled up really well after the race, so I've done a couple of runs over there just with travel and a, just having a bit of a busy schedule after the race, too. There's probably... I didn't get in as much running as I would have liked over there. Um, I still haven't done a session since uh, the race, so I know I recover quickly from marathons, and I kind of want to test out how well I can recover. Um, Charlotte was doing this race originally, so yeah. I'll be going up there anyway. Okay. And um, Have you got a bib yet? I do have a bib, yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to have someone – jump a, a company jump on board and they're gonna help pay for my flights and accommodation there so oh, see, there you um, go. we're only talking about five seconds ago see how quick it works yeah, so <laughs> yeah my flights because i've booked so late flights and accommodation are super expensive yeah, at the moment yeah. so it's costing about a thousand bucks so yep. uh, i think they're going to reimburse me to get me up there so okay. what's the city uh, surf pay these days now i'm taking it over has it changed well there was nothing it was just product stuff and flights yeah. I think it was a, a Seiko watch, which is a beautiful watch that they'd, they'd give after the race. And then there was a period where it was like some flights overseas. A couple of different airlines jumped on board and were sponsoring and every, it changed a couple of years. I think it was United one year, Singapore another year, and then it was Land Air another year. Yeah, they've jumped on board. I generally try and use those type of tickets to get overseas and do a race so they've been really good to be able to do that race and try and get a get some flights to go try and target a marathon overseas or something yeah. like that so, so they're not handed out checks for 10 uh, grand yeah, there's, no no I, I think the, the, there's a rumor that goes that they've only i don't know they might have done it back in the day they they used to have prize money in that and yeah. then they they gave maybe monogiddy i don't know i think this could be this could be completely wrong, but the, the rumor goes that they gave Monaghetti 40 grand to break the Sea the Surf course record. And then Harry Summers nearly got close to that one um, a few years back, and there was nothing like that on, on offer these days. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit different these days. Yep, no, I was but, just thinking, yeah, so it's, think not, it's not as if you can pick up a couple of thousand. Might be. These last few years, they might have actually put up $1,000 for the win. So yeah. yeah, I could come away with a grand or two to go go towards my travel funding and stuff like yeah. that for my next yeah stint. maybe since iron man took it over from fairfax that uh maybe they were putting a bit more money in but maybe not i think i think they have i hope yeah. so i mean I, yeah. I just want you guys up front to um you know to get a little bit more back that's all it sucks it's yeah. not televised anymore that was, that was good <laughs> someone was... someone came up with the um excuse there was one year that uh, i think it was my second year 
where it went out and ran it solo and just made it um, oh, so a TV yeah. coverage. So I was, <laughs> I was the one who destroyed it. That was the last year that they did live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah. I'm to blame for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think they went to a format where it was like the Sunday morning show and they'd float between the studio and the race oh, okay. and just show snippets every now. It's more so directed at the stories. Yeah, um, someone in, dressed as a gorilla. And... Yeah, so they, they'd interview a few of those people. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, it could have changed. It might be different. Yeah. It might have improved. No, it'd it be great to get it back live changes. again. I think it'd be good. I do remember as a kid seeing it on TV as a kid, and that was probably roughly around when I first started getting interested in running. You'd see Monaghetti or, or Lee Troop, and they're battling some Tanzanians to the line. It was incredible seeing those races. And, yeah, it's something that went onto my bucket list as a little kid of yeah that's something i want to do in the future and yeah. try and win so what have you uh, done half a dozen yeah. or more i have done five i've done five and the record stands is two wins my first two times i did it i got two wins and then i've had three silvers since oh okay yeah right so yeah. yeah hopefully hopefully i can even it up <laughs> yeah yeah that year when you're yeah you sprint with benny saints didn't you yeah i had a sprint with benny saint and yeah he absolutely burned me to the line so <laughs> yeah. i probably chose the wrong tactics that day and was there one i remember was it with shelly yeah i had another big sprint with shelly yeah my first year i did it so i didn't actually know what to expect i was kind of running the course a little bit blind of how tough the hills were and stuff like that but I do remember I think Mona might have said something to me he said something along the lines of uh, when you get to that final bend that's probably where you want to be making your sprint home that's stuck in my head and that's where I made the move on Shelly and I think he was looking good and, I, and it kind of looked like he was going to run away from me and I kind of felt that he was going to kick away from me and I thought that that was the point where I'd have to try and make a move to try and hold and stick with him but i made a move and gapped him and ran scared to the line that year just held him off <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's a fair run in the old course from that corner so it's not as if it was a 100 meter yeah. sprint it was like oh geez yeah. wait for shelly to come past you yeah that final bend's now a bit shorter it so, is now it is yeah you kind of you kind of need to get into a good position before that bend because it's a bit of a wide bend and if you're trying to trying to pass on that bend you're you're running a fair distance further so i think yeah that, that year that i had that sprint with benny i probably failed to get to that corner first and got myself into a bad position but he he put distance on me in the end so yeah he powered to the line no it's great it's a great race that what about uh world cross of bathurst is that something you'd consider or you sort of moved on from that no I, well i'm considering getting back into the the cross countries again so I haven't really raced across country properly since. Oh, it's it's been a long time. Let's let's just say that generally, I'm with the AV races. I'm just doing thresholds and, and stuff like that. So I I ran a national cross for a while, and the last two world cross trials, one I ran with a broken hand and uh, hadn't been training, and then the other one um, I had a tear in my teleofibular ligament, which I was kind of getting over. So I hadn't been training properly for that too. So. Um, I've really battled and struggled with the the last two 
um, World Cross Country tri- um, Trials. So, yeah. yeah, that's the plan. Look, I've probably been really disappointed in myself with the last two Cross Country Trials. Uh, this time, I want to actually be right up there and challenging and obviously making sure I put myself in a position where they can't use discretion against me and particular people can't select, like, I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm in discretion with another athlete who's obviously got people with conflicts of interest basically voting for who's on the team. So I need to be off in a position, best position. It's going to be have to be a, a top three finish at the trials. And I know I can do that. So that's the aim. I definitely want to do World Cross Country at Bathurst. So that's probably the next big thing I'm targeting. Is I that March? Be, I think it's around then, February, March, and the yeah. trials might be early January. And they're up here in Canberra um, at Stromlo? The trials will be at Stromlo. And then I don't think they, they were able to do the trials at Bathurst and um, have that course um, staying the way it is for that large period of time because Bathurst has other events on during that period. They were, weren't able to do that. So I think it, I believe it has to be at Stromlo, which generally I, I feel that that course, because they have it there every other year, it's a course where you can kind of look at previous times and kind of work out what type of run that is compared to other years and what type of fitness someone's in so i think it kind of makes it fair yeah hopefully i'm putting myself in a position to secure a spot and and yeah surprise a few few guys that i can still run quick over the shorter distances but yeah that's the main thing that i'll be looking at and i might sneak in a a little marathon before that, we'll see, but not where I'll be chasing a, a super fast time, I don't think. A marathon here in Australia, or you wouldn't spend the money to head overseas? Oh, we'll see. I kind of want to have a marathon on the cards to keep the focus, the fitness up, okay. so that I don't shift too much towards um, working overtimes and working 40-plus hour weeks and neglecting the running during that period yeah. up until world cross trials want to get that focus back towards the running get my running to where it should be what about falls yeah. in in january would you join the crew up there and prep for like that pack prob- again yeah i believe the trials are early january so i'll have to probably head up december okay. yeah I, I think it's it's looking like i'm gonna have to take a fair bit of time off work yeah. around that period like that november december time is where i'll need to ha- have some time off work and yeah it, it'll be a stint where I'm going to be earning no money and it's going to hurt the bank balance again, but it's something I'll have to do. And <laughs> Obviously, I love doing what I'm doing, so... Yeah, for sure, mate. I'll obviously do it. <laughs> All right, Liam, mate, it's uh, it's my bedtime, maybe not yours. Oh, I'm definitely keen for bed, so... <laughs> yeah, that's it, mate. Look, thanks heaps for chatting to us once again, mate. All the best for the racing ahead. If you're there on City Surf on Sunday, I'll come and say good day to you. I'll be there, mate. Yeah, looking forward to it. The weather looks okay. It's going to be light winds, possible small chance of a shower, but it uh, looks like it's going to be good conditions. Good. Hopefully, it's perfect for some fast times, and yeah, hopefully, the legs will allow some fast times on the weekend. Yeah, you'll find I'll out, mate. Blow, blow, some, blow some cobwebs out, but you can say it. After the marathon I did, uh, I think my legs will be ready for that heartbreak hill. Now it'll be good, mate. Really looking forward to it. All the best. Yeah, hopefully you get the chocolates once again for the third time. Yeah, cheers. Get hopefully that. I'll catch you there. No, no, definitely. Might look for you. And AFL finals, I hate to bring it up, but, um, <laughs> you know, you yeah. just, you probably got the, the toughest two weeks in the competition to make the eight, Collingwood and Melbourne, yeah. mate. Hang in there, mate. Uh, it, it started off well, but there's still 
good signs there from the Blues this year. So. Yeah, it's, there've been some improvements, but the last month and a half it's, is yeah, it's been, been no good. really, really disappointing. Yeah, um, they're doing the opposite yeah. of Collingwood. Yeah, exactly. That's what you don't want to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure, mate. <laughs> All right, Lane, I'm going to let you go to bed, including myself. Thanks again. Big congrats for what you did over there in Birmingham. Made us all proud, mate. You should be very proud yourself. Looking forward to those big PBs and that sub-210 coming in the next uh, year or so. Thanks for that. Thanks for having me. All Thanks right, mate. All right. See you, mate. See you, Liam. Bye, mate. Hey, listeners. Hope you're really enjoying the interviews that the podcast is providing you. Hours and hours goes into getting these episodes out to you from go to way. So you could just give me less than a minute of your time in return and rate and review the podcast. Just increase its visibility so more people like you can enjoy listening to these runner stories and journeys. I reckon the more exposure these athletes get, the stronger our sport will become. That'd be great. Thank you. Cheers.